As a working mom, I was spinning on my heels trying to be everything to everyone without realizing overwhelm had its firm grip over me. And it's no wonder since we juggle many identities and responsibilities and tendencies to shy away from our awesomeness. Does this sound like you? I believe one of the keys to successful living is activating our personal power. The question is, how do we do this? Join me each week as I uncover actionable tips from experts and intentionally aligned working mums who, like you and me, are on a journey to boost their personal power. My name's Roxana. Welcome to the Personal Power Boost Podcast. My guest on today's episode is a mum to two young boys. She works in cybersecurity and for the last four years has been running her own business too. Recently, she has become an advocate for mental health and has been using her platform to raise awareness and help others in a real way. Welcome, Barty. Hi, thanks for having me. My pleasure. Well, thank you for coming on. So, Barty, I'd love to know a little bit about your backstory, how you got into doing what you're doing right now. Um, so I started um, my business, um, which is the bit that you're referring to about mental health, um, when I was on maternity leave with my first son. So this is about four and a half years ago. Um, and it wasn't actually focused around mental health. That's a much more recent part of the story. But um, I started doing the business. So I started running the business because I just needed something different to do that wasn't a child related item. And obviously I was on maternity leave um, and I've always been quite creative. So it was kind of like a natural outlet of doing something different. And um, it started off as a hobby, which turned into a business. So take me back a little bit to as far back as you want to go in terms of your childhood and what led to you wanting to get involved in mental health? Um, so the mental health part came a lot later on. Um, so, you know, I'm, 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 I'm Indian, Hindu, Gujarati, I'm obviously born here. And, um, you know, I've just had a very normal Indian life, Indian British life, I guess. Um, I have a I have a job in security, which is very unknown of still for many women to do. Um, and my husband, who is Chinese, so I, I'm married to a Chinese man, um, always jokes that you know there's Indian fem- females in IT are much more acceptable acceptable now than they've ever been. But I don't see that here so yes it's acceptable in India but it's not as acceptable here so for years leading up to where we've got to I faced all of the comments about you can't do that job that's a man's job you know and all of those things and I feel like I've there's there's always been like a story where you have your mum had the ideal vision of your life you know you get married and you have kids and you do a good job a job that everybody accepts is a job for a woman and then your ma- your husband is, is the main breadwinner in your house. And, you know, you might give up your job when you have children. But your job is not that important. Your job is just, it's just your job. Um, so all of those things all were part of what led to probably the story. Um, you know, my mom wanted me to, to be like everybody else because that's what she knows. That's what she grew up with. And that's what she did. She had a job and then she got married quite young. Um, I didn't and um, and she had children quite young I didn't 
And I then obviously decided to not marry an Indian just to make everything a little bit harder for myself. Um, so there was lots of little factors that eventually led up to where we get to, where the mental health part comes in, I guess. So you were saying that there were some dominant voices um, as you were making decisions about your career that were saying, well, that's not for women and that's not for Asian women. Um, let's explore that a little bit. Who were those voices? Where were they predominantly coming from? And what was their idea of what you should be doing? So they came from lots of different places, actually. Um, it's funny enough, I still get these comments, um, but they came from people that just knew me, um, other people who were doing degrees in, in an IT computing related degree. Um, anybody that basically just thought it wasn't the right job so I think when I started up I, I was one of you know and I've said this to my husband we were talking about this the other day I think my my school was one of the first to do an A-level in computing and I chose to do that A-level because I've grown up around computers and my you know my dad had a computer quite early on when he ran his business and I had experience of it so at the time I thought oh this makes sense I'll just do computing mm-hmm. um, and it was actually quite difficult but my teacher had great faith in me and believed that I was really, really good at, good at doing, you know, the coursework and all the stuff that was related to it. And eventually I realized I really enjoyed doing computer related items, you know, doing my coursework and discovering how computers work and things that you can do with them and what comes out if you put the effort to put something in from one place, you start a process and then you can produce something. Um, And so eventually I decided that instead of doing like an economics degree, which is what I applied for, I was going to go down the computing route. And the amount of people that thought I could not do that job because it was very, and is still a very male dominated role, um, was just unbelievable. I mean, of course, it worked in my favour because it meant I wanted to prove them wrong (laughs) because why can't I do this job? I'm just as good as a man. Uh, but it it did go on and it it always it has gone on for years and it still does it's still a huge thing you know I I write lots of blogs about women in IT and women in security but yeah it's just it hasn't ever really stopped it's becoming more acceptable but it's still difficult and I guess during that time you've had two boys you've you've had maternity leave and then you've gone back to work how has that been working in a very male dominant environment How's that? How have you been accommodated, if you like? So there's that very fine line of, did I get this job because I'm female? Did I get this job because I'm Asian? Because now I'm, I, I tick two boxes of diversity. <laughs> and um, so there's, there's always those things. Um, I've been very lucky that I've had very good managers most of the time. So 90% of the time I've had a very good manager who has taken me for the skills that I'm able to do or the potential that they've seen. But I've had other people around me who have made it very clear that they didn't think that was the right role for me. So quite early on into my career, I had comments made to me that I should be making the tea. I shouldn't be, um, you know, I might break a nail if I fix a computer um, you know, am I, am I strong enough to pick up a PC back when I first started? Um, and people who, men who thought that I wasn't able to do the same job that they were doing when my colleague who did the same, was in the same role, same level as me, they had no problem with him because he was a man, you know, and that that's something I had to face quite early on. So um, I always felt like my voice was a bit suppressed. I wasn't allowed to say anything. I wasn't allowed to question anything because that would then prove them 
correct, that I don't know what I'm doing. So there's lots of little things that happened over, I don't know, 10 years of my life while I was working where I just felt I wasn't allowed to to do anything outside of the box because it would just it would mean that I'm not suitable for this career. <laughs> so it's quite a difficult thing to do. That sounds really challenging because in any work, any kind of corporate career that I've been in, there's always been questions that even when I'm feeling like um, pretty sure 70% that I know what I'm doing, it's always good to be able to have a second opinion from somebody and be able to just cross check, is this the right thing to do? And I think if I was working in an environment where that culture didn't exist, for me, because to be able to put my hand up and say, actually, it'd be good to have a second opinion or do you would you do it this way? Because I'm doing it this way. That culture doesn't exist. I can't imagine how I'm, I'm trying to think, how would I feel in that situation? Because it would be stifling to my ability to function, firstly, and to have complete belief that I'm doing the right thing. Because obviously, when you work in a team, you all depend on each other to to some extent, to feel like we're all on the right lines, you know, sense checking, if you like, you know, am I doing the right thing? So I'm just trying to, I'm trying to imagine what that must have been like for you. It's um, it's funny that you say that, because um, even now, when I look at people who are friends with their university friends, um, they had great groups of friends, you know, the, all the girls, it was, a bit, you know, they were, they were in that group, or they've had work colleagues who are, are female. I've never had that because my degree was full of men there was one other female she was older than me um and I've never worked with another woman in my team I've only ever been the only woman in my team and um to some extent I have to be like one of the lads in order to be invited into things and do things um and for a long time when I went for interviews and when I went to work I dressed like one of the boys you know, I made sure I, I wore a trouser suit to an interview because I don't be judged because I was wearing a dress or a skirt um, and I want to be seen equally. Um, I would probably join in with some of the lad jokes because it meant that they would feel at ease. They now don't see me as a female. Um, so, yeah, there was lots of things that I've had to do over the years, which kind of almost stripped the person that I was in order to fit in to a job that I wanted to do. It sounds like you've had to dim your light in so many ways to accommodate a culture that wasn't and probably isn't to some extent able to let you be you and for you not to have to. I mean, I find that when you said I used to wear trouser suits to interviews, I mean, obviously, it's your personal choice what you do. But the fact that you made a conscious effort, I'm going to wear a trouser suit because I don't want them to see me as a female it just is such a massive red flag for me like to have to have that thought process. Yeah, and I mean, I, I recently did a talk at a school, secondary school, and, um, you know, I hoped in 15 years or 20 years, I feel really old when I say that, um, that I was at school, things would be different, but actually they're not, they're just not progressing quick enough, which is why I've started making conscious effort to go to schools and represent myself and not be dressed like what they expect um because it, it just hasn't changed it's still exactly the same that when you when I spoke to this this group of um I think it was year 10 and um 
A-level students, so GCSE, first year GCSE and, and first year A-level students and ask them what they want to do. Would any of the would any of them go into IT careers? Obviously, all the boys, you know, a lot of the boys put their hands up. They're all studying IT um, or computing. None of the girls put their hands up. And so I questioned them why. They didn't want to give me an answer. I think because they were scared they'd be, you know, they'd be wrong. And I, I told them that there's no right or wrong answer. I'm not going to judge you for what you say. Um, but if you give me, if you can tell me why, then maybe I can help open up what the rest of the story is here. And by the end of it, you could see that there was a slight change in the way that they were thinking. And then at the end, when I said, well, if there's any questions, you can come and talk to me. I'll, I'll hang around for the next 10 minutes. And one girl came over and talked to me and she had the exact same conversation. Oh, but I went to an event. It was it was all boys. I stood out like a sore thumb. I'm not sure if it would be the right thing. Is it going to be difficult when I go to work? And, you know, I had that conversation with her and I said, you know, there are women like myself who are trying to change that. By the time you get to work, I hope we will have progressed um, because people like me are actively trying to change those things now. Um, and we have progressed slowly but it is still, unfortunately, very slow. Well, I have to take my hat off to you for being the probably lonely voice in these kind of organisations where it is so male dominant. And I'm just thinking back to when I was making my career choices and I grew up with four brothers. So I am so used to being around men. I've got so many uncles and male cousins. I was like the only girl growing up in my kind of entire family and network of cousins and relatives. Um, and so I completely empathize with how it is to be the only female voice, especially when you have like my mom was not even pretending that the boys were her favorites. Like that was just, <laughs> you know, <laughs> she came from a culture where, you know, yeah. males are superior. And, you know, I although she wasn't blatant in, in saying that I was a bit of a burden on her, it was obvious through her actions that I was. And so I kind of got to an age where I had to become a rebel to be heard. And I had to be the one that made statements like um, that would be controversial in my family. And I still am the controversial voice in my family. But, you know, in, in a progressive society, I'm not. You know, and that's the thing. You know, when I talk to my friends about what I want, they're like, yeah, of course you should have that. Like, why wouldn't you have that? But then as soon as I'm around a group of people who don't think in that way, I'm now the rebel. Oh, yeah, that sounds like me. <laughs> I'm a complete rebel. Um, yeah, it's 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 always been difficult. I think even now a lot of a lot of my family don't realise what I do for a living. But I mean, to some extent, some, some of my friends don't realise. Um, I was talking to, I was on a Zoom call with a couple of friends last week and I was having some laptop problems. They went, oh, why don't you get Luke, my husband, to look at it? And I was like, you do realise what I do for a living or what I have done. And I was like, I used to fix computers. And they're like, oh, I didn't realise that. And it is, it's still there. It's still there. that These people know that I work in IT, but they don't realise that I've, I would know how to fix my own computer. I, I was just thinking, so would you say, I'm trying to make a connection here between your mental health and having to live for so long in um, a way that has meant that you've had to dim your light, you've had to toe the line, you've had to change how you dress, how you speak, not only in your career, but it sounds like in your family life too, a lot of relatives don't know what you do, or they don't support what you do, or they didn't at one point or another. 
And I'm just wondering how many, how much of that has led to you feeling a little bit less, a little bit like you're not accepted for who you are? I would say it played a really, really big part until that all changed. Um, so, I mean, that that went on, obviously, it's gone on for years. I, I think to some extent, it's part of the reason why I ended up marrying my husband, um, because I did, you know, I did, I did date the the Indians um, that I'd met or been introduced to, and again, I had the same problem. It's, it's, you know, I I, I work in IT, so I was either a threat to them because I was I was doing so well, um, or I I they expected me to to give up my career and um I was like no I worked really hard for this and you don't even understand how hard I worked for this that I can just give it up because a lot of people ask me now like would you give up your job and just focus on your business and I was like no I work so hard to get where I am and I love my job I do love my job I love my career choice I'm not going to give it up and if my business became super super successful I would hire people to do that before I gave up my job Wow. Um, that's how that's how much I love my job and so it's it's one of the things that when I was looking at you know when I was meeting all these Indians they were like oh well I don't want you to move don't want you to do this and I was like no I've had years of everyone saying no to me you can't do something that I need someone who's going to say right you just do whatever you need and I'm just going to be there and, um, and my husband did that he 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 we were together and we were both in Birmingham and I moved in the middle of our relationship I moved halfway down the country and he didn't have a problem with that we made it work it was hard work but we did um I I was very clear to him my mum is not going to accept this you know you're not Indian (laughs) I'm nobody in my family has not married an Indian um they've all all told the line and done the right thing and obviously that was what was right for them but it wasn't right for me and he stuck with it he stuck with the whole thing and you know I genuinely genuinely think that it was it was him who changed the person I became he he made me more adventurous he opened up my mind to lots of things that I could achieve that didn't hold me back and when whenever I get in a position where I'm like I don't know what to do I always think what would Luke do and then whatever he would do is what I would go and do because I know what he he wouldn't let it stop him, so therefore I shouldn't let me let it stop me. Um, and you know he has he has been part of the reason why I'm not as I'm not as bad as I could have been. I really do believe that. What do you um, mean not as bad uh, in terms of your mental health? Or yeah, in terms of mental health. So I think I could have I could have easily have gone the other way and married somebody who'd suppress me. And I don't know what what my mental health would be like right now maybe I wouldn't even address it because I would just go into autopilot but he did help me address it um, for a long time and I became I always think that I became free when I met him whereas I I don't think I was free before that so after I met him I went and bought my own property which again is you know as an Indian you don't buy your own house You, you get married and then you move into your husband's house or you buy a house with your husband so when I went and bought a property, everybody was like, what are you doing? You should be getting married. <laughs> you know? Why are you buying your own house? And alarm bells probably started ringing for half my family because they were like, why is she doing this? And she's not meeting her husband. <laughs> you know, she's not doing that. She's moved 
to somewhere where there's no Indians. And there is, I, I moved to Reading. Um, but, you know, they wanted me to move to London where I'd, I'd meet, meet a suitable boy and get married and do the things that would be right. Um, and I decided I was going to do everything that would be wrong. <laughs> so, um, but, it, you know, I'm proud of what I've done, but it's only happened, I've only realised what I've done probably two years ago when I went to counselling. Until that point, I didn't realise how I had what I had done and how I changed things and how I changed things for my for my cousins who are younger than me for them to see that there is a different way of living to the idealistic Indian perspective of how life should be this is kind of where it comes to where the whole mental health situation and my career collide Mm. is um, I went back to work after I'd had my first child so just after I'd started my business Um, and then I went back to work and um, someone who I used to work with, in a, he wasn't he wasn't my manager at the time. He'd now taken over being my manager. When I went back to work, I asked if I could get some training. And because I work with men, they all had paternity leave and come back after two weeks. I had a year off. He didn't give me any training, but he he had this idea of a way that he could ease me into work, and it wasn't the right way. So I I asked for more training because insecurity things change so rapidly that in a year you can be completely out of touch. So um, I repeatedly asked for training. I didn't get training. Um, He put me in front of um, some customers with somebody else who was a man who wasn't technical. And in my interview, in my interview, in my, sorry, in my meeting, um, they asked the non-technical person, the technical questions. And I stepped up talking about something I had no idea about at the time, but I made sure that they didn't think that we had gone in completely clueless. The meeting was a hit. We managed to get some work off, project work off the back of it. I didn't get praise for that. Um, I, I got nothing for that, no acknowledgement of what I'd done. So when I had my quarterly review and my manager at the time was, was, was leaving, he wrote my quarterly review and said she wasn't ready to come back to work. And that was a very low blow after I'd had a child and gone back to work and being female that I already was very very scared of going back to work after a maternity leave as a lot of women are you know they don't feel very they don't feel like they're in a positive place they're really scared they've lost their ability to work because they've been around a child singing nursery rhymes and around mums and not had an adult conversation about anything that isn't child related they've lost their confidence and then that happened to me so I then I knew that I was going to have another baby and and I I, I stayed at the company and I did my you know I stayed until I went on my next maternity leave and made the decision I wouldn't go back and um, that manager had left at the time but unfortunately I think that was part of the problem when I the the maternal or I, I say it was postnatal but it wasn't postnatal necessarily because I I did have some problems while I was pregnant with mental health um, but I ignored them but I think they were all that kind of almost kick-started it before I'd even realized it started so I'm just gonna close the door um so it just it at that point I went on maternity leave um and I'd ignored that there was a, there was already little things that had happened um to make me realize that my mental health had been in a bad state before I'd even got to the point where I've had a baby 
Um, and I do talk about this on my business pages quite a lot because I think it's important. But while I was pregnant, I wanted to um, to, to kill myself. I wanted to be in a car accident. I had justified it to say that my husband um, would be okay with one child and that I wasn't useful to anyone. I was There was no purpose. And I think part of that came from going back to work the first time. And maybe all of the things that had happened prior to that where I didn't feel like I had the ability to do my job, I wasn't important enough, I was female, Indian, I don't know, all those factors. I didn't meet the requirements of being a good daughter, you know, who had had gone against my mum and got married to somebody who wasn't Indian. There's all, all those factors, I think, all kind of collided at the same point and I was pregnant and I, I, I just assumed I was okay you know after the thoughts had gone and I carried on and had a baby unfortunately I wasn't okay at all you know and I think at that point it just all of those years of not doing the right thing by the right people not being the right person in my job uh, not being able to talk not being able to speak not being put forward for anything that I should have been all all happened and it happened really in a in a really big way so it wasn't a slow progression to bad mental health that was noticeable it was kind of like wham there it is so yeah I think I think years of everything that's happened has probably amount got me to where I am now it's really interesting that you say that because I know for me when I was pregnant with my daughter my first pregnancy my first successful pregnancy I should say um was the time that it felt like everything that had happened in my life came and hit me like a ton of bricks all the things that I'd managed to suppress and bury and not deal with all came and actually it wasn't just a pregnancy it was once she was born and she was sitting in front of me it was then that I started having flashbacks and I don't know whether it's the pregnancy hormones or what it is that makes us or make, made me in particular become so um, the, the memories of my childhood and of all sorts of events just became super, super vivid and in technicolor to the point that I couldn't avoid them. And now in hindsight, I know that was somehow the universe's way of saying you need to deal with stuff you need yeah. to work through it and overcome it but at the time it was unbearable but they talk me through what happened then so you were having suicidal thoughts how did you navigate those days I don't know how long that went on for you but what was that like so um after I'd had the baby obviously I thought I was okay again this is your first son so it's my second, actually. So funnily enough, because of all the things that had happened prior to this, I actually thought I'd get postnatal depression the first time. Mm. Um, and I didn't. I didn't actually get it the first time. So I thought I'd be OK. You know, I was like, oh, no, I'm, I'm OK. Like, I'm, I've done well. I've managed to handle everything. And then when I had my second child and I'd obviously had those thoughts while I was pregnant, I thought it was just hormones. So I put it down to hormones, had the baby, loved him from the second that he was born and thought, oh, good, I don't have postnatal depression, you know, because of the stereotype that is shown on TV that you can't relate to your baby or you don't love them, um, or you, you can't bear to be around them. I didn't have any of those. I loved him to bits. 
Um, I went out and made new mum friends. I because I knew I consciously needed to to be out of the house and doing stuff. So I made new mum friends. I went to coffee mornings. You know, I really put myself out there, thinking I'm doing a fantastic job here. I, you know, I went to baby classes. Um, you know, my business was still going. I did take a break from the business because obviously it was crazy not sleeping and then trying to run a business at the same time and have a, another child as well who was two and a half at the time. So I did take a break. But it was actually when my son had um, silent reflux that this all ended up being a very different situation because I wasn't sleeping. So I, you know, there are nights where I don't know if I actually went to sleep because every time I got into bed to fall asleep, I'm pretty sure I was awake because my child was crying again. And I was still trying to breastfeed because the first time I, I was made to feel like I was a really bad mum for not being able to breastfeed my child. And so the second time I was more determined than ever. I, obviously, this is a personality trait I seem to have. More determined to, than ever to make sure I breastfeed my second child. And so I and I did for six months. And but he didn't sleep. And nobody spotted what was wrong with him. Um until I'd got to the point where I was suicidal, that suddenly somebody had realized that there's something wrong with my child. Yeah. And we found out, you know, and I kept saying, like, I'm sure there's something not right. I'm sure there's something not right. We had some cranial osteopathy. It had not really worked. You know, we tried a, I tried a million things to see if it would help. And then we just thought, well, maybe he's just one of these babies who just doesn't sleep. And very different from my first child who did sleep after, you know, seven, eight weeks, we managed to get him into a good sleeping pattern. And then one night, my husband had said something to me. And it, he didn't say he wasn't being mean, but he just said that um, my my younger, my other child had said, oh, when I call mommy, she doesn't respond um, at night. And it's because I was so tired. But my husband told me that. And that was it. I was like, so I'm just a crap mum. You know, my my child, who's two and a half, three years old at the time, I think he was, so he's, he'd just turned three, had made a comment to say that mummy doesn't hear me when I call her at night because I was so tired. And my husband told me that. And that was it. At that point, the next, I couldn't sleep at night because that was on my mind. My child was still waking up. He was at the time about seven or eight months old he was still waking up um no he wasn't actually seven or eight months old I think he was probably about six months at the time I mean he's still waking up during the night and then in the morning my husband had to go to work I'd got really annoyed at my husband because I couldn't believe that he'd even told me what my three-year-old had said but he obviously didn't mean anything by it he went to work I sent him a text message because I'd obviously been thinking about this all night told him not to respond to my text message, to carry on to go to work, but I wanted to kill myself. Um, and I said, you know, just just don't respond to this. And he did. He did send me a text message and just said, um, I love you. Um, but I knew that if I sent him that text message at that point, I would take the power away from myself. Um, and somebody else knew what I was thinking about, so I couldn't do it anymore. And to be fair, I, I you know, I still had a child to look after and I did. I did love him. So my my next thought was, how can I time this so that my child is not left on his own in his own pooey nappy or screaming for milk? Um, and how can I pick up the other child from nursery? Um, I need to make sure that everything's timed really well. So I mean, it, a lot of thought had gone into this. So it was, you know, it was really serious. And so I told one of my friends who then came to my house 
and sat with me. She didn't say anything. She just told me to make a cup of tea. I couldn't bring myself to, to get off the sofa. Um, and we had a cleaner at the time and the cleaner came around and she said, I think your child's got silent reflux. The cleaner? The cleaner had, it was the one who told me that my 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 baby's got silent reflux because I, I think she saw the state that I was in and she spoke to me about it and I told her what he'd been doing and you know because normally she comes in she cleans we try not to talk so she can clean quicker and I'm not I'm not stopping her but at this point she stopped to talk to me and then she said I think you need to call the doctor because I think your baby's got silent reflux and my friend came around and sat with me and then my husband came home and then all of a sudden everything suddenly started to happen a bit quicker but my husband still didn't believe I had depression because his stereotype of a mum that has depression doesn't go out and make friends doesn't go to baby class doesn't necessarily love her baby so even he was convinced that I didn't have depression it, it then kind of all kind of happened where eventually I, I, I couldn't stop crying I called the health visitor she directed me to the doctor the doctor gave me medication I, I eventually I decided not to take the medication because of the side effects so I decided that and you probably got this from the rest of this conversation that I'm very determined. So I was determined to fight this on my own without medication. And I did. And that was the right thing for you. It was. And, you know, and taking, there's nothing wrong with taking medication. Some people do, you know, and a lot of people do need that help. Um, and, and I did try. I, I was grinding my teeth, which is why I stopped, because actually then I couldn't stop focus on the fact that I was grinding my teeth, which was giving me headaches which was then not helping the situation. But I did take the medication to start with because the doctor wouldn't let me leave until I agreed to take it because I was in such a bad state. And, you know, she she said to me and a lot of other people who eventually when I told them that I, I, I was suffering, you know, tried to explain to me, it's a chemical imbalance in your brain and you need help right now to fix that in order for you to be able to function, to in order for you to be able to then manage without it and they were correct you know it, it, it is exactly that um and so I do you know I, do, I don't think there's anything wrong with taking medication but like I said because I was grinding my teeth it was then it was not helping it was not helping me at all and I was on the smallest dosage that they could possibly give me so that's when the doctor and myself made the decision that we were going to try and tackle it a different way talk us through that different way what did you do so the doctor's suggestion was that I went to counselling. I think I knew that counselling would open up something that I'm not ready to deal with. And it did. Counselling would mean I would have to look all the way back to where this started. And I wasn't ready to do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and also because I had a small baby still. He wasn't even one years old. I, I didn't know how I would be after I'd had counselling. I, I almost predicted what would happen. It's like I almost knew what the cause was and I just didn't want to face it. So um, we, I went to the doctors every two weeks and we talked and um, I, I started telling friends who became my support system and they were brilliant. You know, some of my friends were so good. They'd organize dinners and they'd check up on me regularly and try and get me to exercise and all sorts of various things that they did. And they, they, you know, they were such a great support system. And it's one of the reasons why I talk about it in my business. Say, you know, I urge you to talk to someone, anyone, because as soon as you tell somebody, it just, that weight really is lifted and it makes it easier. And so I started to do that. And then I decided 
to take myself on holiday on my own. I booked a holiday and I, I used a travel counsellor to book this because I knew I would never do it on my own. <laughs> so I just told her what I wanted to do, where I wanted to go. Um, and, and she booked it. She booked a holiday for me. I went to Cyprus for four days, absolutely on my own. And it was quite funny because as soon as I did that, everyone wanted to come on holiday with me. You know, they were like, oh, I would have come with you. You don't have to. But they didn't understand why I needed to go on my own. I, I went completely on my own. I was so sick before I left the house. I was physically sick at the thought of leaving my children. I felt guilty. The, the travel counsellor had given me uh, uh, lounge access. I couldn't eat or drink a thing. Um, I was sick at the airport because I couldn't believe that I was, I was being so selfish by leaving my children and going on holiday. How dare I do something like this for myself? I got on the plane. Suddenly I felt like a different person. You know, I was, I was not the same person. I, it was almost like there isn't, there's nothing I can do. I can't turn back and go home. I'm on a plane, you know, I just have to now face this and move forward. So I, you know, I got, I got to Cyprus and I was really scared at the time because I thought I haven't been on my own for, I don't know how long I've always had a child with me or I've had my husband or I've had a friend or a mum or a baby group or my mum, you know, my cousins around, how am I going to do this on my own? Mm. And I sat in the hotel room and I got there. And this is where this is where my husband comes in. I thought, what would Luke do? Luke would go around the hotel and he'd go for a walk. And so I did. And all of a sudden, my whole holiday was a very different holiday because I suddenly realized that I just needed to take care of myself. And I think it's something as mums, we are so guilty of doing. We always forget about everybody, you know, we forget about ourselves and we do everything for everybody else. Everybody else is our priority. Our mum, you know, our dad, our in-laws, our husband, our children, my employer, you know, my friends, everybody needs me. Can't say no. I'm a very, I'm very bad at saying no to people. I am a people pleaser and um, that's what I had just become. And the only person I wasn't pleasing was myself because I was never taking time to do anything for myself. And this is what I see on your posts a lot, is that you're such a big advocate for self-care, for time on your own. I'd love to know a little bit before we end is going on holiday to Cyprus. Obviously, it was a massive big deal for you. What were your intentions? What were you hoping when you booked it and you knew you needed these three or four days on your own? What were you hoping for and what what was the what was the reality like what came out of it so I was hoping that I would almost reset myself and I needed to be I needed to be comfortable to be on my own you know and I'd lost that even for work I I'd completely lost the ability to be on my own and do something on my own and that's what I was hoping for and when I came back my husband said to me you know you look different and I can tell that you're different. And I felt different. And all of a sudden, I had realized that I took, I took some good, I took some books with me. I was very selective about what I did. And I took some books and I took a book about women in IT, women in security. And that changed my career. Mm. A book changed my career, but it also changed a lot of other aspects of my life. And I came back and realized I needed to do something different for myself. 
and and it, it, it did you know I I now work in a job where I'm the only female I'm the only person never mind the only female I don't know why I address myself like that I'm the only person doing my job mm. in what I do and I have to speak up I can't hide behind anybody so I, I took my job for that reason because there was no person to hide behind there's no other team there's no other men if I get it wrong, I get it wrong. Mm. But I've put myself in a position where I'm really uncomfortable because I think I have, I'm, I am able to do something and why should I hide it anymore? I think counselling changed my life in the end. Um, but all of those things that we've talked about led me to the point where I said, I need to go to counselling mm. and I need to address the issues. And I, I now regular have, I, I have regular mental health checks as I call them. Because why should we not go to counselling? You know, I'd go to the doctor if I was sick. So why should I not go and see a counsellor if I'm sick? And I am desperate right now to see my counsellor because I want to tell her everything that I've been up to in the last 10 weeks because a lot's happened and a lot of emotions have gone on through that. And, uh, you know, I need, I almost need that safe space that everybody else knows what I've been doing, which is fantastic. And I've had so much support, but the counsellor allows me to be somebody completely different where I can give, I can praise myself and not think that I'm being arrogant or I can, I can tell her all my fears and what I've just done or have happened or things that I'm scared about and she won't judge me. And so I, that's why I, the Counseling Foundation is, is the charity that I support because of all of those things, because I genuinely believe that everybody should go and see a counsellor at some point in their life. I agree. I agree. Or, or any other kind of therapist or coach or whatever people want yeah. to, who they want to access. And I know that you contribute or you've recently been involved in the big efforts to support with COVID-19. Um, and I know that you have been sending quite a bit of your proceeds to count the counselling foundation yeah. um, to support other people who might not be able to afford to pay for counselling themselves, but can at least have a subsidised or, or hopefully free service. And I think that that's amazing that you've been a part of that. And I salute you. Gosh, you've had an incredible journey. And, you know, I love the fact that you've been trailblazing throughout your life. And yes, you know, you've had to um, sit back, reflect, and, you know, figure out, who you want to be and how you can function in a healthy way but don't ever stop being a trailblazer I love that you're just going from strength to strength and what a role model you'll be to your boys and hopefully they'll see that women are allowed to be all of these things which is the main thing that I want them to see I don't want them to think that women aren't capable they'll be enablers because they'll see what Luke has done. They'll see how you are and they'll be enablers for other people, not probably, hopefully not just their partners, but anybody that they see in their workplace or in their community. And I think that's the, that's one of the gifts that I think when a mother um, accesses her personal power, when she taps into who she can be and, and finds joy in her life, that enables everybody to find their personal power and find joy in their life. You know, it has such a ripple effect on everybody. And that's what I'm a huge advocate of is that I think if we support the mum, if we help the mum to heal, we help the next generation. 
And um, yeah, you're a prime example of that. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. It's been amazing. I'm Roxana Hussein, and you've been listening to the Personal Power Boost podcast. You can follow Personal Power Boost on Instagram and Facebook. If you haven't yet, please go to the Apple podcast and rate and review this podcast. Do join me next week for another Personal Power Boost. Thank you so much for listening.